you cannot be afraid to utilize your existing network, whether that's personal or professional. You need to use it all. Post on Facebook, post on LinkedIn, send texts and emails, just not in a necessarily like an obnoxious salesy way, but just be like, hey, I'm doing this thing. If you know anyone or if you need help in XYZ area, let me know. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikkel Karshofsky, and welcome to another episode of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to introduce you to Crosby Melendi, a freelancer, entrepreneur, and content creator. I first came across Crosby's work on Instagram, where she has almost 100,000 followers and routinely shares tips about working remotely and what it's like to live as a full-time digital nomad. Crosby has been freelancing since college and shared her top advice on how to land that all-important first client, how to navigate the Instagram algorithm to grow your social media following, and much, much more. You can find all the resources and links that we mentioned in this interview in the show notes of this episode. Before we jump into the interview, however, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where every Monday I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business, tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you will also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider, all one word. And you can also read some example newsletters there so you know what you're signing up for. Also, I'd like to thank Safety Wing for sponsoring the show. Their travel and medical insurance is specifically designed for digital nomads and remote companies. I'm going to tell you a bit more about the awesome things they're creating for you later in the episode. As always, if you enjoy this episode, share it on Twitter or Instagram and tag me at Mitkoka. That's M-I-T-K-O-K-A or send it to a friend that you think will enjoy it. And while you're there, give me a follow as well. I publish new remote work content every single day, so come on over and send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you haven't subscribed or left a review already, please consider doing so now. Just hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcasting app, and you will never miss any new episodes, and you'll also help us climb the charts and attract new listeners. I've also made it really easy for you to leave a review. You can either do so straight in your app right now or head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and leave your review there when you get to your computer. Finally, I would love to invite you to join our TRL listener Slack channel, which you can find at thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. This is something new that I'm launching as a way to connect with listeners of the show like you. I'm doing this for a few reasons. Number one, I would love to learn more about the types of content you'd like to see more of from the podcast, but I'd also love to add more value to you. In our Slack channel, you'll be able to have direct contact with me, meet other listeners of this show passionate about the future of work, the digital nomad lifestyle, and entrepreneurship, 
And we'll also be putting together events and Q&As with some of the biggest podcast guests to dive in even deeper with them. Access to the Slack channel is completely free. And again, the link that you can join at is thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Crosby Melendi. All right, Crosby, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. Yeah, you said that you listened to this podcast, which made me very nervous because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to ruin my image with this girl. And like, she's, you know, she's going to see behind the facade. It's going to be all over. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. (laughs) That's what's happened. Now I hate it. It's official. (laughs) You've seen, you've seen behind the curtain. It's over. The the facade is, yeah. So you're, okay. So tell me, let's start here. You're right now in an RV, which is Awesome, because I know a little bit about this because some really good friends of ours actually lived in an RV, uh, and and I got to see a little bit of that. We traveled with them for a little bit. So tell me a little bit about the, why did you decide to live in an RV, and what has that been like? Uh, you know, working remotely from the RV. Yeah. So the first time I did this whole RV lifestyle while working remotely was actually last year. So for the first pretty much the first half of 2021, my boyfriend and I were traveling around the U.S. in our first travel trailer. At the time, it was 22 feet, just under 22 feet. And we pretty much just decided to do that because obviously at the time, you know, international borders weren't really open at all, which is crazy to think about now. But um, yeah, at the time, you know, I had been doing a lot of car camping, um, you know, things that I could do that didn't involve me getting on a flight because that just was not in the cards. But Again, I was working online and I really wanted to travel. So I was just trying to kind of scratch that itch basically. And um, yeah, my boyfriend and I, of course, we had like only been dating for like four months. We're like, let's just do this thing and get a trailer. And it happened so on a whim. And looking back, I'm just like, that could have been a complete recipe for disaster. But thank God it was so much fun and we had the best time. So um, yeah, we kind of just dove into it head first. We did like a month trial run up in the northeast a little bit and then after getting stuck in a bunch of blizzards and had no clue what we were doing we came out of it being like well if we actually enjoyed that experience who knows how amazing it's going to be when we head out west so we went back to tampa where we're both from for a few weeks renovated the trailer a little bit got ready and headed out west and yeah we spent about four months in you know texas arizona california new mexico kind of that whole southwestern region of the u.s and it was incredible um so yeah now being back in it a year later after i've been backpacking around the world and kind of you know living out that dream of mine we're back in the trailer largely because long distance sucks so we were like all right let's uh figure out something that would work for both of us and this time around has definitely been a much better situation in terms of working online we put a lot more thought and research behind you know the the gadgets and the hotspots we were getting and you know it was definitely much more difficult last year and you know a year later both of our businesses have grown tremendously and so we definitely needed more stability and faster internet and, you know, not relying on a nearby cafe if our internet dropped or if we ran out of data, all that stuff. So it's been a much, uh, much better go around for, you know, the month that we've been in so far. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of options out there actually to work online and travel in a trailer. So (laughs) it's so funny because I have two, so I have two observations about people who 
work and live out of like RVs. First of all, they don't call them RVs. They call them travel trailers. So you know you're like a legit, <laughs> like I live in an RV when you're like my travel trailer. That's the first thing <laughs> that I've noticed. And then the second thing is like the same way that people ask me, you know, what is it like to, to, to work and travel like as a digital nomad? And oftentimes I tell them, it's kind of like you're picking up a part-time job because there's all mm-hmm. these things that you have to figure out. I feel like living in a travel trailer and working is that you're picking up like a second full-time job because not only are you traveling, but there's also this giant thing that you're traveling with that within it has so many things that you need to think about and like worry and like something's always breaking. And like, there's just a, a whole bunch of other things that you need to think about. So my question is like, how do you balance that in terms of like, oh my God, I need to go take the uh, the black water tank out and I have this client call coming up. Like how do you manage yeah. those two full-time jobs? Oh yeah. No, you, you hit the nail on the head for sure. I, I, you know, I kind of look at it, you know, for people who are digital nomading internationally, kind of like the normal hostel thing or Airbnb hopping, you know, it's sort of similar to that in that, you know, unless you're staying in one place for weeks or months at a time, you are having to deal with logistics on a regular basis and planning flights and, you know, researching Airbnbs or accommodations to look at the Wi-Fi speeds and is there a good place for me to work and all of that. So it's, it's very similar to that. And the more you move around, the more, you know, things can go wrong, the more planning that goes into it. So, you know, it just, it comes down to really, uh, you know, before you launch the lifestyle or whatever, is just kind of sitting down and identifying what do we want our weeks, days to look like, and, you know, working your way backwards from there, because, you know, for us, um, you know, things are different this year than they were last year when we were in the trailer, you know, Dylan, my boyfriend, he now has a full-time job in addition to he has a YouTube channel and his own business as well. So he is Does he have his own YouTube channel or do you guys like mm-hmm. share? Yeah, he has his own. So his his YouTube channel is amazing. You should check it out if you're into drones. That's his thing. But yeah, he has been popping off on YouTube lately and has launched his business as well for, you know, drone stuff. So, you know, he is a little bit less flexible than me in terms of hours and meetings. So he's on the phone all the time. He needs to be on call at all times with just because he leads an entire department remotely. So he has to make sure that, you know, we're not traveling on a random Wednesday morning, uh, you know, on a whim, you know, we, we mainly travel on the weekends, you know, switching from, you know, different campsites to another campsite on Friday, but ideally, you know, after work or whatever. So it just comes down to a lot of planning and, um, you know, adjusting to what gets thrown your way. And I would say that, you know, the biggest difference between this time around and last time around is we're just moving around a lot less. So, you know, last year we were totally full-time adventurers. We were moving from campsite to campsite every three to four days. And not only is that difficult when you have like a full-time job and a lot of clients or commitments that you need to attend to, but it's also exhausting, like completely exhausting. And, you know, like, you know, from, you know, traveling the world and digital nomading and all of that, you know, if you're bouncing from hostel to hostel every week, by month two or three, you're going to be like, I need to nap for a week because I'm so tired and you get burnt out. So that's what we were trying to avoid on this go around um, is, you know, taking things a little bit slower, 
focusing on work and picking places very intentionally. So we know there's a lot to do in that time that we're there, but, you know, still having the flexibility to move around and go to different places that are on our bucket list. So it's just a, it's a balancing act. You know, what's crazy is, uh, uh, I have only been in a hostel. Like I've only stayed in a hostel once. Really? Is that kind of crazy? Yeah, because like people expect that like, I don't know, we because so when my wife and I started, so first of all, we started digital nomading and traveling together. And at that time, Airbnb was still like cheap. It wasn't what it is now where you have these people that have like legit like five star hotel apartments that they're putting up. So we, it was, the price was like, well, we would actually end up paying more for two beds in a hostel than if we get like a room. And it was mo- at the time, most of it was like rooms that were like Airbnbs in like somebody's mm. apartment. And so now we're older and we're also like, I don't really want to deal with hostels. And right, so it's right. like, now it's like, we do- so I, I kind of feel bummed where like, I was just talking about this with my wife, like uh, maybe like a few <laughs> weeks ago, where I was like, I feel like I missed like this, like critical experience of traveling where like I d- didn't really stay in hostels and she's like okay well you can do that on your own because I'm not coming with you but um yeah <laughs> that's my boyfriend so, I'm like hostels all day and he's like no <laughs> yeah I uh actually I was planning uh I was planning a travel trip with a buddy of mine uh who had never been to Europe and we were gonna go to Europe and it ended up not working out unfortunately but I was like yeah we should do like hostels because I was like this is my chance to do a hostel and he was like mm. Dude, I'm I'm pushing thirty. I'm not seeing a hostel, like you know what I mean. So uh, I have to do it on my own. You passed your but, prime. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm past my past my host hostel experience. So you, you mentioned that that you have a freelancing business, and this is something that um is a very interesting topic to me because I see freelancing as like a really, really a important field in terms of like remote work, but also one that I think is going to be growing even more. And the one question I like to ask people with successful freelancing businesses is how did you get your first client? Because I think that's actually a very important linchpin in the experience because once you've gotten a few clients, you almost kind of like you figure it out and there's a bit of like a downward slope to to it in a way, like things get easier. Right. So how did you get that first client? Did you use something like an Upwork or was it through like some sort of referrals? How exactly did that work? Yeah. So just to preface, I've never used any sort of Upwork Fiverr site ever. Love it. So that's just never been really my thing. I, I attempted it, but it just didn't work out. I got zero leads. I felt like no one was seeing my profile and whatever. So I just kind of ditched that idea, but it works great for others. Um, but basically the first client I ever got, I was actually still in college. I was a full-time college student. Um, it was the summer before my senior year. And I was actually at a corporate internship at a PR agency that I was obsessed with. And I was confident and so sure that this is where I was going to work post-grad. I was still in the corporate mindset. I went to a school that pushed that, you know, professional path very, very hard. Um, and what did you study wrong with that? But I studied my major is called strategic communications. So it's basically a mix of digital marketing and branding essentially. So it's, it's kind of, it's a good, it's, it was a fantastic major because it ties into what I do today, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, but yeah, it brought me a lot of foundational skills, but 
definitely had no idea that freelancing was even an option, that starting my own online business was an option. I had zero idea that that was a thing. And at this point I was, maybe I was 21. Do you have a question? I don't mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just kind of curious. Are you still, um, do you have friends or do you know anyone who's still in college at that same college? Because what I'm curious about is, has that changed? Uh, or do you feel like that's still the case? So I can't speak for the people who are actively going to school at that school, but I have talked to a lot of alumni that are younger than me and people my age, same age. Basically, everything changed when the pandemic hit. I had, you know, I had already started my freelance business before the pandemic, but I had a lot of people in my class who I had worked with on campus who reached out to me because they knew I was already freelancing and they wanted to get into it themselves. Now that they were fully remote, maybe they got laid off, maybe they hated their job or they had to go back to the office, whatever the case may be. Um, A lot of things started to change once the pandemic hit. And I truly hope that the communication school that I went to is starting to adapt to the times because it's an incredible school and it's Elon University and it's absolutely incredible. I think they're, they were ranked number one comm school in the country at one point. And so I have nothing but amazing things to say, but you know, like any university, you have to adapt to what's going on. It's just a fact. And you're, you're doing your students a disservice by not, you know, giving them the resources and the tools that they need to, you know, thrive in the, in the online world, whether or not that's the best fit for them. It's, it's a great fit for some people and not a great fit for others. So I've thought about, you know, talking with, you know, people that are teachers there and professors that I are, that I know and just being like, okay, guys, <laughs> are we adapting? Are Bring we, me are in, we tap forward? me in. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, seriously. <laughs> so um, no, but, but yeah, things definitely, I think are starting to change, but I can't necessarily speak to the curriculum or what they're talking about on campus. But I do know that the students are taking it upon themselves. Gotcha. So before I so rudely uh, interrupted you, you were telling us about how you got your, uh, your first client while you were in college. So how yeah. did you end up that's an interesting, you know, was it through like the company that you were doing some sort of like uh, your internship with or how did you land that first client in college? Yeah, no. So, so basically I was at this internship and I basically realized halfway through that I uh, hated it. And I was like, well, I love the people and I love the work, but this invite, it was the environment. It was just the corporate environment. It was a very large global PR agency. And I think I could have been happy at like a smaller boutique agency, but It just, it kind of hit me that number one, this is just not the environment that I thrive in. And number two, I want to be able to travel. And I started realizing that that summer because I went on a trip to Idaho while working. I did like a week online. They let me do that, which was great. But I realized in that week, I was like, oh my God, it was like a whole epiphany. Just, it was, some people come to it in a gradual way. I came to it in like a snap of a finger. I was like, oh, uh, this is not for me. And so basically it was that trip that sparked this. And so, you know, I would go to my internship during the day and at night I would do so much research of how can I work online and travel? What is freelancing? Because that was the first thing that stood out to me. It's like, okay, maybe I could, you know, try and make this work. And basically by the end of that summer, I had landed my first client and that client was a family friend. And the family friend had a small, and they still have it, a small online retail business. And they're based out of Tampa, where I'm from. And I've known them since I was a kid. And, you know, this is something that I I talk to people a lot about when they're trying to get their first client and they feel very um, discouraged, is you cannot be afraid to utilize your existing network 
whether that's personal or professional. You need to use it all. Post on Facebook, post on LinkedIn, send texts, send emails, just not in a necessarily like an obnoxious salesy way, but just be like, hey, I'm doing this thing. If you know anyone or if you need help in XYZ area, let me know. And so when I pitched to them, I made it very clear that this you would be my first client and you'd be taking me on kind of, you know, in out of good graces. It was at an extremely low rate. But I will say I did have a good amount of experience because like I was saying, the school I went to was really, really great about extracurricular activities. There was actually a student run uh, marketing agency on campus and we worked with local businesses all over the community. And I was director of that agency for two years. And so I had a lot of really great real world experience. I just had never, you know, pitched to one on my own. So it was very intimidating. But again, they they knew me. They knew that my work ethic. They knew I was a good person. You know, they love my family, all these things. So they took me on. And from there, I was able to get a lot of great work samples, some great testimonials. I upped my rates after a few months once they started getting great results with my content. And it just snowballed from there. And I started getting clients. Did you up your rate with that client or did Mm -hmm. you wait for the next client? Because I know a lot of people are really concerned about like raising their rates on an Mm -hmm. existing client. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, we, we, we sort of reframed it or framed it at the beginning is like, this is almost a trial, not necessarily like it was a trial run. Like if we don't like you, you're, you're out. But I was getting paid a very, I think I was getting paid maybe $20 an hour. And I don't even do hourly rates anymore because I just, I, that's just not ideal for anyone. But, um, that's what I was getting paid just so I could get my foot in the door and, you know, show my worth. And cause I knew, I knew I could provide value. It was just a matter of someone taking me on and, and giving me that chance. And, um, yeah. So after, I think it was probably like three or four months, then I had a conversation with them and it was, you know, nearing the, the end of the year. So I put together a really great, uh, presentation of all of my content, my analytics, and I made a pitch to up my rates and we ended up doing a monthly retainer from then on, which is how I structure all of my, all of my clients now, um, either a monthly retainer or a flat project fee. So that was kind of how I got my foot in the door. And then through a lot of networking and putting, you know, my name out there, like I said, I got clients all from referrals and word of mouth. Yeah. I, um, you know, when you said, don't be afraid to put your name out there and tell whatever you, you, whatever relationships you have, whether they are personal or, 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 you know, professional, that's something that uh, Jay Klaus, uh, a good friend of mine, he talks about how I don't remember the exact phrase that he works, but I call it brand ambassadors. I don't know if you use the same one, but it's like essentially like every person that you talk to, even if they don't become a client, right? They become like this like ambassador of what you do because when you're putting it out there and they know what you do, they almost become like like a homing beacon for you because then they're doing their own networking. So when they talk with someone and they're like, hey, I need like this, 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 and this thing, they're like, oh, you know Crosby, right? Like that's what she, so they almost like become like your referral agents in a way. So I think that's very smart is, and I, and I advise everyone to do that is to like go out there and be like, Hey, 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 do you know, I'm doing this like set of calls with people uh, and tell them, tell them what they're, what they're doing. So right now you said a majority of your clients are coming in through referrals, which makes a lot of sense because, um, I recently launched this product called, um, it's, it's a freelance case study pack. So kind of like what you like, you know, like Harvard Business Review kind of thing. So we did a case study like that all about freelancing. What we found was 93% of freelancers that make over $100,000 a year 
site referrals as their number one uh, client acquisition strategy. Uh, now, obviously, within that, like, how do you get those referrals is is interesting. So, what is your like? Is it something where you're actively doing something to get re- those referrals and and encourage referrals, or is it something where at this point, like, referrals are coming to you and you're not really putting a lot of uh, like focus on that? Mm-hmm. I so this is kind of varied throughout my freelance career. Right now, I'm focusing very heavily on my YouTube and my content creation business and doing coaching and digital products and all of that. So at the moment, I'm only working with one main client. I've actually been with them now for two and a half years, which is just, it feels like a part-time job at this point. It's monthly retainer. We like love each other to death and they love that I travel. So we have a really great relationship and I'm so grateful for them for, you know, letting me do this and, and empowering me to keep doing this and all that and being so supportive. Um, so that being said, I'm not, you know, actively seeking new clients at the, at the moment, but I would say up until recently, and I'll talk about the role that social media has played my, my, the growth of my audience has played into getting clients. But before that, you know, a lot of it was, it wasn't necessarily me like sending out emails or, and asking people, Hey, like that I've worked with, Hey, can you make sure that you, tell this person, like, if anyone asks, I'm here. And I have like, that's not really how, how I tend to do. I don't think that's how a lot of people do it. It's more, you know, your work speaks for itself. If you've done really great work for someone, and it's a pleasure to work with you, and you make it really easy on that client to uh, communicate with you, they have total faith that deadlines are going to be met, and you're a very reliable worker they're going to recommend you to other people um, because it looks good on them. It looks good on them to have solid referrals. If someone's like, hey, I, I really need someone who's you know, good at web design or graphic design. And they're like, oh, well, I worked with so-and-so and they were fantastic. Let me give you their contact info. If that works out, then it looks good on them. It looks good on you. It looks good on the freelancer they're recommending. So um, yeah, it, it really just comes down to developing very uh, – positive relationships and continuing, you know, those relationships, even after the contract ends, um, you know, there's that. And then of course, networking. So, you know, with the remote world, it's definitely changed the way that we network. Um, and that's definitely been a shift. So before the pandemic, I was attending every networking conference I could that my university put on that was happening in the community. I was always there and I was always just conversing with people. And like you said, it doesn't matter if they're not your target market or who you would ideally be working with. Uh, As a freelancer, you never know who they know, what their network is, if they may put you in contact with the perfect client, uh, you know, that you work with for a year or two on a retainer. Um, you know, you never know who you're talking to. So it's always great to just have conversations. And now that we're living in such a digital world, you know, having a personal brand on at least one platform is so powerful and can be very, very helpful. I'd say if you're, you know, if you want to be a freelancer or anything in the remote world, LinkedIn should be your number one place that you start if you don't have any presence. And then you go on there and you engage with thought leaders that you really, you know, look to uh, for inspiration, comment on their stuff. Maybe you found a really great article or a podcast that you have some thoughts on. Post that on LinkedIn and post your thoughts. And maybe you want to write a blog post about something that you're specializing in in your freelancing business. You post that. You never know who's going to see it and how that's going to hit someone. So it's all about just having conversations with as many people as possible and letting your curiosity kind of take the reins and 
you know, talk to whoever really piques your interest. They may not want to talk to you, but I've had great success with reaching out to people who don't know me and being like, hey, I love what you do. Do you have 20 minutes for a phone call and we can chat? That has led to clients. You know, you never, it's, it's all about just putting yourself out there at the end of the day. Yeah, I have two tips for freelancers. So first of all, not only have I been a freelancer myself, but I've also hired and managed and worked with a lot of freelancers through the agency they used to work at. And one of the things that I think always stands out in a good freelancer to someone who has like hired a freelancer is communication over communication and reliability. Like the meeting a deadline is one of those things that sounds so simple and like base level skill, but you'd be surprised how rare it is for people that like really respect the deadline. And if there's a reason why you're not going to hit that deadline, communicating and there's nothing wrong with saying like, Hey, I'm really sorry. Like I'm not going to be able to hit this deadline. Is it okay if we push it three days? Um, you know, like just kind of a constantly keeping in touch with clients just goes such a long way in having like a good, uh, relationship with, um, your client. And also the other thing, the other tip that I'll give, and I'm, I'm yet to know if someone is taking me up on this. So if you're listening to this and you've heard me say this and you've actually done it, please let me know. I would love to hear how it went. I think starting a podcast in your intended uh, client world, like whatever that niche or industry it is that you tend to work with the most, starting a podcast in there where you're interviewing potential clients is such an incredible way to generate leads because then exactly like you said, like, hey, I love what you do. Can we get on a call? You are essentially doing the exact same thing. You don't even need to have any listeners, but you're leading with value because everybody wants to talk about themselves on a podcast, even if you know they don't know how many listeners you get. So I think it's a, it's an incredible way um, to do that. But I do want to shift away a little bit and talk about social media because you are crushing it on social media. I uh, love your reels. They're, they're so good. Uh, you have a great YouTube channel like we were talking about before we hit record. One of your YouTube videos just made like, like I felt so much like I was like, wow, you guys are exactly like my wife and I, uh, a few years back. But how did you get started with Instagram and what was the idea there? Because one of the things I like to do, I don't know if you do this, but when you find somebody on Instagram or whatever, uh, whose content you like. I like to scroll all the way to the first post oh my because God, I like to see not. where they come from. <laughs> I like to see where people come from. And you from the very beginning said, hey, here's what this Instagram is going to be about. And it was very like conscious and, and, and focused. And now that's grown to like almost 100,000 followers on Instagram. So how did that happen? I mean, was there a moment where I'm going to go straight for the vanity metrics and talk about followers, but... What was there? Has it just like climbed slowly, or was there like one moment where it was like slow, 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 and then boom, something happened? Oh, there was a moment. It was a recent moment. I was at, I, I honestly, I want to pull up my analytics right now. I think I gained, I probably gained fifty thousand followers in the last, in probably a two month span. 
Like it happened quick. It happened quick. And it was just a series of reels that I realized were were gaining traction and people were asking tons of questions and being like, oh my God, what about this country? Basically it was some of them. There's been others that have also blown up, but the ones that were really blowing up, every single one were all about digital nomad visas. So I was talking about different countries who were offering these digital nomad visas, what the requirements were and who could apply, who was eligible. And I think the one that blew up the most was about Costa Rica and that one has, I think, five and a half million views. And that's just one. And there's others that have two, three million views. And then a few of my other international ones. It's been mainly the international-based uh, ones that have popped off. And I will say, it is, it's not It's not what you think it's going to be. When you when you get this amount of followers, it's not, it doesn't, like, change your life. It just, it, 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 it can be very overwhelming. And it's it's been really crazy to see the level of growth. Because, yeah, like you said, you know. I started this Instagram, I think in 2018, and it's been a slow, slow build for the entirety of my Instagram journey. And, you know, for to answer your first question of like why I started it, it wasn't even, I mean, I started it with an intention because that's just who I am. I don't, I don't just do things like, I like to, I like to know what the purpose is, but it was at the end of the day, it was, it was for fun. It was a travel blog. I initially was like, Oh, maybe I can do a travel blog and be a travel blogger as my job. And not even at that moment, because at that moment, I think I was about to study abroad for the first time. I was going to Sevilla, Spain, and I just want to document it. So I was like, okay, I'll just create another Instagram so I don't spam my existing followers and my personal account. And that's why it started. And I love to write. So I was writing blog posts about my experience. And it was just like a diary, basically. Um, and then, yeah, and then eventually I started, when I started freelancing and realizing that I had this obsession with work from anywhere, digital nomad, then I started talking a lot about my freelance journey that started to gain a little bit of traction and I started meeting other freelancers, which was so cool. And that's kind of what's kept me going on Instagram is the community that I've been able to develop and how much I've learned about, you know, the, the whole digital nomad space and I've also been able to gain so many skills by just being on social media and creating content for myself. Um, you know, now the the client that I work with, we it's a small social media agency. So we have multiple clients within the client that I am contracting for. And I, I'm like the reels person. So I create reels for multiple clients and they're in a completely different niche that I'm in. They're in the aviation space, in the corporate space, in tech, all these things. But the the skills that I've been able, the hard skills that I've been able to develop by being on Instagram and adjusting to the trends for nearly four years now, which is wild, um, has helped me tremendously in my professional career as well. And of course, now I am, I have monetized my social media, so that's great. But, you know, I've, I've definitely, you know, gained so many skills just, just by creating content for myself. But, um, but yeah, going, going back to your, the, the question about going viral, I mean, yeah, it was a pop-off moment. I think I, I, I think I had organically slowly gotten to like 25,000 or 30,000. Still um, great. I remember I was, it, no, it was fantastic. And again, I was at 30,000. I was like, no way. Like I, I'm never going to grow again. I'm good at 30 K. Like we got the good community. I was so happy with it. And I still am obviously, but I had no intention of like I never wanted to get to like a hundred thousand. That was never a goal that I had, but yeah, I think I was at 30 K in, I think it was March of this year. And so yeah, within just the last like four months or so I've, I've 
more than doubled my following, which is crazy. And that just goes to show the power of reels. Um, but yeah, there's lots of downsides that come with it too, but lots of upsides. So it's been a journey. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to take a quick break and tell you about our sponsor for today's episode, Safety Wing. As a longtime digital nomad and remote worker, I can tell you from experience that travel medical insurance is extremely important. The more time you spend abroad, the more you increase your chances that eventually something will happen. Maybe you will get sick and need to see a doctor, or you're going to crash your scooter in Bali and have to get a cast. Either way, figuring out how to pay for that procedure in a foreign country is not what you're going to want to deal with at that moment. And that's why I love Safety Wing. Their services are designed for people like you and me. Their Nomad Insurance is a global travel medical insurance with emergency coverage across 185 countries. Their remote health package, on the other hand, provides remote companies and employees with global health insurance. Not to mention that Safety Wing is also funding the Plumia Project, which is working to establish the first ever country on the internet. So if you're still nomading unprotected, what are you doing? Head over to safetywing.com and find the insurance insurance package that's right for you. And also consider using the affiliate link in the show notes, which will directly support me in continuing to produce this podcast. So thanks again to Safety Wing for sponsoring us. And now back to the episode. So my wife is the social media talented person uh, in our relationship, and she's gone viral a few times. One specifically was like scary big. Um, and it was like very interesting, scary, big makes it sound like she met like Snoop Dogg or something, but like she, I don't know why Snoop Dogg came to mind first. Um, but it was like, um, it was interesting to see that play out because it was like just her phone was just like, you know, like going off and like crazy, but it is interesting just how much power it is like you said there is in reels because like right now there is just the the organic reaches there right and and now it's like instagram and tiktok are kind of competing for organic and so are like youtube shorts and so now it's like you know use use that competition that those platforms are having to to grow yourself so i'm going to ask you the selfish question here because i have you um what are your best reels tips because by the time this episode comes out we've been working in the background for this podcast to be a massive content producer on reels and shorts and all that kind of stuff so hopefully when this is out you should be able to go to our social media and find a lot of those so i'm curious selfishly uh what are your like top three tips let's say for creating viral reels yeah totally so i would say there, there's so many tips. I would say, you know, a given you should know, you know, you should have some kind of niche that you are creating content around. Um, you don't want to be just posting random stuff because Instagram takes, I mean, again, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not behind the scenes on Instagram, so I can't say this for a fact, but just with my experience, Instagram kind of knows what content you tend to post. So, you know, if you're posting one day about, I don't know, travel uh columbia travel and all of your content is about columbia 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 and then after you post 100 posts about columbia you go to new york city and you start posting about the best restaurants in new york city i can almost i can almost guarantee that that reel is going to tank because social media has become so saturated that people are going to follow you for pretty much one reason and that is 
who you are and the what content are you posting so it, it almost is detrimental to be too much of a generalist and that is the case for a lot of things not just social media as a freelancer you don't want to be too much of a generalist people gravitate towards individuals who have a specialty who have a certain expertise and you know consistently post or teach or whatever about that one thing so basically you want you want to know who your target market is and you want to create content specifically for them so that's just top line but for more of a technical standpoint there are several tips that just the reels that i've created that have gone viral sort of all have the number one thing for me is that pretty much all of them are educational in some way, shape, or form. And again, this is just for me. I've, I have had a few of like the montage reels that have just a really a bunch of beautiful videos, like half a second long to a trending audio that maybe one or two of those have gone viral. But that has become a very saturated part of Instagram. So I think you want to create content that stands out. So like I said, my digital nomad visa reels were the ones that were blowing up. And it was because nobody else was posting about that. And I was making it very informative, but in a visually pleasing way. And I used the trending audio. I didn't make it too long. And I included lots of value-based information in the caption. So there's so many tips. I don't want to overwhelm everyone, but I'm trying to think, basically, for me, you either need to inform or you need to entertain. So everyone's sort of different in their niche. Maybe you're a comedian. Create a bunch of entertaining reels that and those may pop off. It just depends on your niche. But um, you want to make sure that it kind of either informs or or, uh, entertains. And then the second piece, you know, this may change because Instagram is always changing with the trends. But the length of your reel does matter. Most viral reels are between seven and nine seconds. So obviously, if your goal is not to go viral, you shouldn't revolve, you should make every single reel max out at nine seconds because I don't do that. Most people don't do that. But that is kind of a formula for success. People have a very short attention span. So if you can squeeze a lot of information or entertainment into, you know, a 10 second reel, then that's great because it keeps people engaged. And then, you know, they may go check out the caption and that keeps that reel playing more and more in the background. And the more times your reel is played, the more times someone shares it with a friend, the more times someone saves it, bookmarks it, it tells Instagram, okay, this person likes this type of reel. I'm going to give them more of that reel. And I'm also going to push this reel to similar accounts. So, you know, it, it, that that's kind of what it's doing is those first few, maybe like hour or two of the reel being out, Instagram is gathering all of that data, you know, who's commenting, who's engaging, who's liking, who's watching it the most. And they're going to start pushing it out to that sort of demographic. Um, so that's kind of a good way to think about it too. Um, and then of course, you know, jumping on trends is great. I wouldn't make that your entire business model and your entire strategy because you want to be able to stand out as well. So you got to kind of find that mix because you don't want to be, you know, just like every other reel because it can get very monotonous scrolling through the reels tab and seeing that same audio every single time. You know, sometimes you do want to create your own reel. Maybe you're talking to the camera. Maybe you're doing an interview like you are starting to do with your podcast. Um, So it's just finding that balance of what's going to serve your audience and how can I best get that across in a way that's both trending, but also, you know, helps you stand out. 
This is this is so funny because it's so meta because I know that my editor Dennis, who's awesome, is going to be going through this and listening and I'm like, "Dennis, <laughs> take notes. It's I don't even need to like send it over to you. This is you know, take notes here on the reels that we're making." So this is very meta. I like outsourced the like the, the out out to you. Okay, so so quick question. Hashtags or no hashtags? Uh I put hashtags in mine. But they are not the end-all be-all. I've had reels do very well that have no hashtags. So that shouldn't be your whole strategy for sure. And then you said something that I've never thought about, which is if the if the caption is actually intriguing, people are going to read it and then the reel's playing over and essentially yeah. like, I didn't know this, but it's counting it as multiple views. So then does that mean that you're investing a lot of time into the copywriting of that caption and making it a bit longer and that sort of thing to keep them on the post? It, yeah, it, it, again, it depends on like what I'm talking about in the reel. So for example, today I posted a reel about eight remote companies that are hiring now. Um, and so what I did was I listed those companies on the screen and it was quick. It was to like a trending audio. It was not, I think it was about six seconds long. And at the very end of that video on the screen, I say, read the caption for details. And so that you always want to have some kind of call to action. Um, I always say, usually I'll say, check caption for details because Number one, from like you said, an analytics perspective, it is going to be replaying, which is great. But number two, you can only put so much into a nine second reel or however long it is. You know, if for like for the reel I posted today, I'm not just going to list the name of companies on there. I'm going to go into the caption. I'm going to tag those companies. I'm going to put a brief description of the company. And because I was feeling a little extra today, I actually went and looked at what openings they had for job opportunities. And I said, they're hiring in IT or engineering or marketing or whatever. And I included that as well in the caption. So, you know, if these people are genuinely interested in applying for these jobs, they're going to go and they're going to scour that caption. And maybe they're going to go click on some of the companies that are tagged. Maybe they think of a friend. I get that a lot, you know, in the comments, they'll tag a friend, be like, have you checked this out? They'll send it to a friend. I got a ton of shares on this one. So, you know, you, at least for me and my niche, I want to provide value. and I want to help people. So if I can provide extra value in the caption, as long as I'm not killing myself and I'm not wasting too much time, um, then great. Um, but yeah, it definitely comes down to batching reels. I did have a brief hiatus on Instagram the last couple of weeks, so I was just not feeling it and that's fine. But, uh, but yeah, it can take a lot of time, but you just kind of have to find what, you know, works best for you. And I found that like batching reels, batching copy is a great way of doing that. It just eliminates the time. So I have a two-part question. Um, it's the same question for two different topics. So what is something that you spent a lot of time working on that in the end ended up not generally, generally, generating a lot of results, um, both for freelancing and for social media? So something that you spent a lot of time working on that in the end just like was not helpful and people listening to this can just skip altogether in your opinion? Yeah, there are a couple things. Um, I do have one for freelancing and one on social media. Um, Perfect. So I'll start with the freelancing one. And this one, I want to say right off the bat, some people have found success with this. I, I guess I have two. 
I guess, okay, we're, I'm going to try and wrap, go through these. The first thing is, yeah, like, like we mentioned in the beginning, Upwork and Fiverr. Some people think that that's the only way that you can get freelance clients. And it is so not true. It has worked incredibly well for some people. You know, I have a good friend, Alexandra Fasulo, who is just a boss. She's been on the podcast. Oh yeah. She is, she's just an absolute boss. So Fiverr, she's made over a million dollars freelancing on Fiverr. Um, and she's just, you know, really, really been able to use that platform to really build her business off of. Um, so like I said, yeah, it works great for some people, but, um, if that's not working for you, or let's say you don't have a lot of experience uh, right off the bat, you know, a lot of times the success on those platforms are based off of your, uh, you know, the ratings that you get, the five-star ratings from past clients, the testimonials, stuff like that. Um, a lot of times you'll get beat out by people who are either charging less, charging a very, very low rate, or they have so much experience and they are such an expert that they're just going to beat you every time. So it depends on your niche and it just depends on your experience level and how much you're going to charge. Um, so that'd be my first one that just didn't work for me. So if that's not working for you, it's not the end all be all. There are many other ways of getting clients. Second thing that I used to spend a lot of time on was my website, my freelance website. I think, and this, you know, it's incredibly important to have a online portfolio that you can send to clients. That's very easy uh, and and straightforward of, okay, here are my past clients that I've worked with. Here have been the results, testimonials, and here's how to get in contact with me. Anything more than that, unless you are starting a blog or a podcast or something that is a personal branding thing, it just, it doesn't need to be this crazy fancy platform. Um, again, depending on the the niche that you're in, it may be more or less important. Let's say you are in the business of web design. Your website better look fire because people are going to go to that website and they're going to judge you based on your website that you've created for yourself. Um, but you know, for, for a, a niche like me, I do mainly social media strategy and stuff like that. You know, it, my website, it's nice, but it's, I, I went a little too over the top for what I really needed. And what I should have really been focusing on was getting more testimonials, uh, showing more of my analytics and just, you know, focusing on that and spending a little bit less time on making it look good and pretty and all of that. So I would just say, yeah, like whether you're doing a freelance business or a coaching business, cause that's also something I've, I've, uh, delved into a bit as coaching, um, you know, having a website is great, but it shouldn't be what you put all your time and focus in right off the bat. Like I said, networking, having conversations, that's what's going to get you the leads, not a pretty website. Um, it's a plus. So I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm just saying don't, that shouldn't be your main priority right off the bat. You you want to have your, your work to show for first. And if you have time to create a good website, you want to hire someone to create a good, cool website, do it. But I definitely spent too much time on that <laughs> right off the bat. And then, uh, yeah, as far as the, the Upwork thing goes, I get that question a lot as well. And what I always tell people is all of those, Upwork, Fiverr, Freelance, or whatever, is to think of them, I think way too many people think of them as their business and not as a marketing channel of their business. So what I always say is like, you, you should make a profile on all of them because if somebody comes through there, great. But that shouldn't be what you just base your entire business on top of. And I see a lot of freelancers doing that. And then the other thing that I've noticed with platforms like Upwork that I think actually applies to a lot of things in life is that you want to use like the barbell model, right? 
which is uh i'm forgetting the author who came up with that um but it's essentially the idea is that you don't want to get caught in the middle you want to either be like really cheap so that you beat everyone out for cost which is not necessarily what i'd recommend or you want to be expensive so that people are like oh i'm looking for the best and i'm gonna go with crosby because she's charging so high that she must be the best and you're generating curiosity around like wow i bet she's amazing because she's charging so much like why is she like what is why is she so much better that she's charging so much higher uh, getting caught in the middle where you're like, you know, with everyone exactly. else, that's that's not great. But, okay, what about the same question before, you know, uh, growing on social media? Yeah. So with with social media, I think I think what's really important to remember is that you have zero control over these platforms and basing your entire business on social media can be very dangerous um, in, in terms of, let's say, you know, it's happened several times where Facebook goes dark and every platform that Facebook owns also goes dark. If you are basing your entire business on these social media platforms and they go dark and you don't know when they're going to come back up, that is so scary. And so, you know, that I kind of foresaw that happening and a lot of people have foreseen that happening. And so what you should be doing as sort of, you know, a backup plan or just a plan B or just another supplement to your business is to have something that you own completely. So for you, it would be your podcast. You have full autonomy over creating the podcast, putting it out on all of these different channels and platforms. And if Instagram were to go down, that would suck because you have an audience there. But at the end of the day, you're not losing your podcast. You're not losing every single episode you've ever created. Whereas on Instagram, Instagram were to get deleted, I would lose every single post I've ever created my entire audience. And that would just be horrible. So to combat that, I always tell people, Number one, you should be making a uh, email list. You should be getting people's emails, getting getting your audience off of those platforms that you have zero control over, and getting them onto a platform where you do. Um, so having your own website, uh, you know, having an email list that you can gather people's email, um, you know, having a blog or something that kind of takes people off of those social platforms and brings them to another part of your business. So that's something that it always scares me when I see people uh, who literally have nothing except for an Instagram page because what if your account gets hacked what it, like that that could happen that happens to people with or you get canceled or you right, could get canceled right. right yeah it's nothing's guaranteed on these platforms um and you know certain platforms are much more volatile than others i would say instagram is one of the most volatile platforms just after being on several ones you know for me youtube i It's probably my favorite because I do feel like it's here to stay. It's TV for a lot of people. It's very, the algorithm isn't so up and down. It's not so unpredictable. Whereas Instagram, you could be going viral one day and then have 0% engagement the next. You have no control. Um, So that's not even a mistake I've made, but I just wanted to put that out there as some advice for people. Um, I would, yeah, I'd say the mistake I used to make was, yeah, I was kind of basing everything on social media. And then I started, you know, thinking about what happens if this or this or this happened. Um, so creating email list, having a blog, whatever it might be. Um, but I would say that I guess the mistake, not the mistake, but, but something I wasn't expecting that didn't make me much money to begin with was or something that you spent a lot of time on working. Right, right. So I'd say, and, and this is true even to today is, 
you, if you're just posting on Instagram to get followers, you're not really making money. And if you don't have an offering that those new followers or those viral reels are going to get you, then what's the point? You know, if obviously you can get brand collaborations if you have more followers, but even then it is still quite hard. I mean, I almost have a hundred thousand followers and it, it's not like people are banging down my door for, for partnerships all the time. So you want to make sure that you are diversifying your business and you're not relying on one stream of income over every single one, other one. Um, so, you know, when I started realizing, okay, these brand partnerships, and even in the beginning, that wasn't even my priority, but I know that is for a lot of people is working with brands, um, you know, being an influencer you know, those things work very well for some, but I would recommend having some digital products that you create, that you can sell, having a course, uh, maybe doing some coaching services, consulting work, whatever that, whatever the case may be, depending on your niche and what people are asking of you. Um, but just using social media, you know, as an umbrella and not just focusing on one thing, um, you know, creating a reel every single day for months, you may look back and be like, why, what was the point of that? I gained like whatever, 5,000 followers. Great. But now what, you know, it it sometimes can feel like this grind that never stops. So you want to be very intentional with why you're posting and who, where you're directing these people. Otherwise it's just like you're shouting into the void and then that's that. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Good tips there. Uh, definitely something I'm thinking about a lot as well right now, especially like around like planning, like strategy around how we're going to like tackle social media and that kind of stuff is definitely something I'm thinking about. But, uh, Crosby, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a ton of fun. I hope that you, you had a good experience on this side of the podcast as well. (laughs) Uh, let people know, um, if they're listening, where can they find you on Instagram, on, on YouTube, like what are all your social links? And then do you have some sort of like offering, uh, like some sort of like, uh, like, like product or anything like that for them that, that they can go check out? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you can find me on Instagram at Crosby Grace Travels, same on YouTube, Crosby Grace Travels. Um, and then my website is Crosby Grace crosbygracetravels.com on there. Um, I do have several eBooks, um, and I also offer coaching services for people who want to get into this space, but don't know where to start. That's kind of what I help people with is the people that, you know, have, were like me three years ago or four years ago, looking at everyone on social media being like, this looks incredible, but how the heck do I even get started? That's kind of where I like to help people. So my ebook, Prepare to Launch, is specifically for people who want to get into the remote world, but you know may not have any remote experience. Um, you know, I started doing this as a college student, so I can assure you, I know what that feels like. So that's why I created that ebook. And then, if you want more personalized help, then coaching services are also on my website. So, so that's yeah. for like people looking for a remote job or who want to start freelancing. Um, it could be any of those. I mean, I also help people who already have remote jobs, but want to start traveling and being a digital nomad. And they may be worried, you know, how am I going to find places with Wi-Fi? How am I going to, you know, set a remote schedule so that I'm not like slacking and lose my job? Um, so yeah, just really anything in the digital nomad space um, at any stage I can definitely help with. Perfect. Well, I know there's folks listening to this who have those exact questions. So if you are, uh, we're going to have the links to all of that in the show notes. So just don't feel like you have to remember those.